I'm done. You can preach. No. All right. No Bible today. We're going to use the screens today. So uh, last Sunday, I sat down uh, like we do typically on an evening, and Micah has got his shower, he's got his pajamas on, turned on Paw Patrol, and I just sit down, I get my Bible open, I'm like, what? Of all the things that I might read, just let me just read the first 12 verses of First Peter, and let's just see where we're going to go for next Sunday. While it's all still fresh after preaching last Sunday morning, let's just see where we're going uh, this Sunday. And so we read the first 12 verses of First Peter, I have Paw Patrol in the background, and I hit verse 13. And I knew that that's where we had to stop. There is something very personal about verse 13 that we needed to deal with as a church family. And that's all we were going to do. I knew it right there. That is what we would do. I didn't care what any commentary said. and didn't care about how their scholars would break up the passage. Verse 13 is what our church family needed. So let's jump in. 1 Peter 1.13. Here's what Peter writes in the New International Version. This is how it's translated. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. So that's the New International Version. And so before we dig in and unpack all the things found in that verse, we've got to deal with a translation issue. There's a translation issue. Actually, there's two things we have to deal with. Uh, let's take this first one. So, in the NIV, let's go to that next slide. So, in, that, in the NIV, they translate with minds that are alert. Now, what the NIV translators are missing is the action and the metaphor of the Greek that here is translated with minds that are alert. It sounds like you just need to have something. You just need to have an alert mind. But in the original Greek, there's actually action here. There's actually a metaphor we really need to grab onto. And so I, I think the NIV is missing something on that translation. And it's actually going to be very important for us. I've got to make a point that that is not the best translation uh, of the original. There's also, another, there's also another translation issue here. Let's take this next slide. So the NIV puts the word fully in the wrong spot. What does it say we need to be fully, fully sober? Okay, but that's... That, that's not probably the best place to put the word fully. Take a look at what the Greek actually says. So here's the three Greek words. So literally, if you opened up the Greek New Testament, you'd see these three words. It literally would, be, would read, being sober, fully set your hope. And most translations, especially the ones more literal than the New International Version, they translate it, being sober, hope fully. So the word fully actually goes with not sober. Both those things are going to be really important for us. So with that said, I just want to abandon the NIV and go with another translation. Okay? So here we go. Here's the English Standard Version, a translation more literal. And this is where we want to, this is what we're going to sit with to unpack. Here it is. Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's 
the translation. That's the one I want to use to unpack. And it's going to say something to us right here, our church family. It's the reason I stopped with verse 13. So let's just start where the verse begins. The, Peter starts with, therefore. So take a look. Therefore. Now, anytime you see therefore, you have to ask, why for therefore? You get it? All right. Okay. I didn't make that up. I, I'm plagiarizing. But when I heard it years ago, I thought, ah, I'm going to have to use that over and over and over. And so what Peter's referring to is everything that's just come before. It took us five weeks to say what Peter says before he ever gets to the therefore. So in light of this, take a look at this list. This is the list we've been sitting with for so many weeks. Because they are chosen, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ, born into a living hope, born into an inheritance that never fails, shielded by God's power through faith, gaining a proven faith, receiving praise, glory, and honor, having inexpressible joy, and being recipients of grace. Because of all of that, He's now going to tell him to do something. This is that finally, that moment in the letter where he's going to say, because of all these things that I've said about you and all that you have, now I'm going to tell you to do something. So what does he tell him to do? Well, he's going to, he's going to have them start thinking about the second coming of Christ. And so we're actually going to take this verse and we're going to work through it backwards. So let's take this next slide. Here's where I want to start. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Whatever they're going to have to do involves the revelation of Jesus. Now, this is a reference to the second coming of Christ. It's something that Peter actually will refer to a couple, a couple more times in his letter. So, if you remember in verse 7, in verse 7 of the letter, so chapter 1, verse 7, he actually pointed their mind to the second coming at that point as well. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, that's trials have come, so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your trials will cause you to have genuine faith, and that genuine faith is going to lead to you receiving praise, glory, and honor when Jesus comes back. He pointed their mind, don't you forget, Jesus is coming back. Then, later on in chapter 4, he says this, 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He keeps pointing these Christians to the moment when Jesus will be revealed. That, that is, when His glory is revealed. That is, the moment when finally Jesus returns. And this is a theme in the early church. Now, we have 2,000 years of no Jesus returning. But for the early Christians, it was constantly on the, their minds that Jesus was coming back. Now, that would be instructive for us, and we should not forget that Jesus is still coming back. So, like, let's not forget. Just because He hasn't returned yet doesn't mean He couldn't come back today. As hard as that is for us to grapple with just in ordinary life, most of us think the NFL game is coming later today. But really, Jesus could return even at the moment the Cowboys are being beat, Jesus could return. I just wanted to see who I would offend. Just kind of quickly do a look. Okay. I'd ask him to leave. Um, so, uh, I bet Terry's a Cowboys fan uh, doing all this mess up here. Um, okay. So, so, check this out. So, in that first letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, I just want to, this is just a, another snapshot to see 
how important the turning of the mind to the return of Christ was for the early Christians, and I think instructive for us. But just take a look. 1 Thessalonians 1, the last part of verse 9, first part of verse 10. They tell how you turned from God, uh, sorry, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son for heaven, uh, from heaven. So a key part of going from idol worship to the worship of the God of Israel through Christ, a key part of what all of that involves is that now you're waiting for His Son from heaven. That defines us. That's part of it. So, now when you talk about the second coming of Jesus, it, it, like, it involves a lot of things, right? Like we could have, we could have a year-long series on what does the second coming involve. But Peter boils that down to one really big thing. Of all the other things we could say, from the millennium to the rapture to a tribulation to an antichrist, it doesn't matter where you stand on all of that, those things are going to be talked about when you talk about the second coming of Christ. Peter summarizes it. He just boils it down. One thing. Take a look. Here's this. If we're, again, just working inside verse 13. The grace that will be brought to you. The grace. If all the other things are going to be involved with the coming of Jesus, Peter says it will involve grace being brought to you. And this is really important for us because I often think of grace as something that happened back in the past. You, you, you hear people talk about uh, getting saved, and they talk about how they were saved by grace. But that grace, that, that grace extends into the future. Just remember what Peter just said in verse 7. Just let's put verse 7 back up. Check it out. He said that, that, that proven genuineness of your faith is going to result in receiving something. Praise, glory, and honor at His revealing. When we receive when we receive that praise from God, well done, good and faithful servant. That is grace. It is grace that says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That is grace. It is a grace coming in the future. And on that day when our bodies are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, it will be grace. You didn't earn the new body. It will be grace. Just Let me just... Let me just couple verses, couple passages that talk about that transformation of your body one day. Yeah. Uh, we'll go Philippians 3, 20-21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. To get in a new body. But when you do, don't forget, it is the grace brought to you. And then 1 John 3, 2. He says, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. We, we shall see Him as He is. We will be like Him. That is grace. I mean, we don't typically think about that as grace. We typically think about it as a transformation. As the day when heaven is in its fullness. But never forget, it is the grace brought to you. That is so amazing. I mean, this is, these are amazing things we're talking about. It's so amazing, it's hard to, like, grapple with it. I don't even know, I mean, I don't even know how you, you force this into your feelings about this. You put a piece of chocolate cake in front of me, I'm feeling, like, I'm, I'm feeling very quickly an appetite for the chocolate cake. This is a little more abstract. But man, if we just had a taste, 
It'd be more powerful. The appetite would be more powerful than anything we've ever experienced. How amazing all this is. And so, no doubt, no doubt then, Peter would say this next thing. Because of how amazing these things are, he says this. Set your hope fully on them. Now, now, what's translating with what's translated with five English words is only two Greek words. Actually, the verb here, it's the only verb, it's the only command, it's the only command in the verse is the word hope. So literally the command is hope. Now we typically don't say command hope by just saying hope. We, in English we usually say something like fix your hope or set your hope. And so that's why the English translators are trying to get at the command. But this is the only command in the verse, you hope. You hope in this amazing stuff coming your way through Christ. Hope. And you just don't like hope half-heartedly. You hope fully. A couple other ways this word can be translated are completely or perfectly. Hope perfectly. It's a hope that has a solidness to it. Like you could take this to the bank. Hope. Alright. One commentator says it this way. I like how they define uh, hope here. The term hope refers to an expectation which is much stronger than the vague sense of wish for or dream about. Isn't that usually how we use the word hope? I mean, just in the regular way we use the word. Typically when you say, man, I hope this afternoon goes well. It, that's my, kind of my hope. That's my, that's my wish. I dream that would happen. I hope all my kids sleep through the night. Like, you know, that's just, I'm wishing really, really strongly that happens. But, but Peter's not using the word hope as, like, wish for something or you dream about it. It's solid, confident expectation. It's actually so solid, you can start celebrating about it now. Like, you could boast about it. Like, right now, you start boasting about it because it's sure. Take it to the bank. It's solid. Peter, uh, the Apostle Paul says something very it's actually in the context of suffering. We aren't going to deal with the verses that talk about suffering. These out. Romans 5, 1 and 2, notice what Paul writes. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Where's the glory of God going to be fully revealed? In the coming of Jesus. And we boast in it. Like you can start celebrating about it. It's that real now. The future reality is so real now, you start celebrating. You just start boasting about it. You start pray, talking about how wonderful it is. It's that solid. So Peter says, hope. Hope perfectly in the grace that we brought to you in the return of Jesus. Now how in the world are you going to do that? Well, there are some things that you're doing as you hope. The first one is the next part of the verse as we move backwards. Being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. Literally here, it is to not be the kind of person living intoxicated. You, you don't live as an intoxicated human being. That's, that's the literal uh, translation here. Just do not be intoxicated. Live that way. But there's a metaphor here. There's something larger going on. 
Uh, one commentator says it better than I can. We'll give him three sentences rather than me ten. Here you go. Here's what he says. Metaphorically, it means not to imbibing the world's sinful system. It connotes clarity of mind, a discipline of heart, being in charge of one's priority, balancing one's life, so as not to be subject to the controlling and corrupting influences of the flesh's allurements. Don't be unhinged. Don't be chaotic. Don't be unbalanced. Be a stable person. Be clear-minded. That's the kind of person we become. That's what it means to be sober-minded. This is really important for Peter. We'll come back to it you know, at some point down the road because a couple other places Paul talks about being sober. And it relates to a couple other things too. Check this out. Um, 1 Peter 4.7 The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that we may pray. Your prayers are directly related to your ability to have a balanced life, a clear mind. And then, 1 Peter 5.80 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know a surefire way to not get away from a lion? Go into, go, go into the jungle drunk, and you will not make it out alive. You go in sober, you've got a chance. Maybe you hear the roar and you can get out. You go in drunk, you got no chance. You'll be stumbling every which way. This, I mean, this is the reality that Peter talks about. If you're going to deal with danger, you better, you better have a clear mind. Now, he doesn't just say sober-minded and leave it there. He's going to link that now to something else. And this is probably my favorite, this is my, well, probably my favorite, uh, at least, image of the verse. Here it is. Because this is something that was in the translation problem. He says, preparing, the, the ESV says, preparing your mind for action. Here's the literal translation. Literally, the Greek says, having girded up the loins of your mind. So in the ancient world, you would wear longer robes. And when you got ready for battle, what you would do is you would take all of the loose ends of the robe and stuff it into the belt to get it up off the ground so that you can move quickly. So to gird up the loins means to prepare, to do something. All right, I like this summary as well. If I didn't give you the right image there, here's another thing, uh, another way of saying it. If a person wanted to move quickly and easily, often he would pull the corners of his robe up from his, uh, from his belt or sash to tie those corners in place. Peter metaphorically applies the process to the mind. He urges believers to pull in all the loose ends of their lives meaning to discipline their thoughts. You ever feel like your mind's just going all over, is all over the place? Yeah. Stephanie, our secretary, got me a, um, got me a, a little wood thing with a saying on it. You know, one of those things you buy at a knickknack store. It says, my brain has too many tabs open. Feel like that? Where you just, you're all over the place? Well, Peter says, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Literally, pull together the loose ends and straighten it up because you're going to have to move. Can you imagine running in a long road? No, you can't do that. You're going to trip and fall. What do you, what's like life when your mind's in, all, in a million directions? You start forgetting things, don't you? You don't know where your keys are. Where's my wallet? Maybe that's just my experience. But uh, that, that, that happens when your mind's in a million directions. 
Peter says, you tie up the loose ends. Get your mind focused. It's really key. All right. All of that is in this one verse. But let's now drive to what it has to say to us as a church family. Okay, here's some application. Acknowledge the truth that believers are saved by grace. I just don't want you to maybe even acknowledge it. I want you to know that. You are saved by grace, past, present, future. So here's why this has something to say to our church family. As a pastor, I have an opportunity to be around a lot of people as they get, get closer to death. Or as they struggle in their life wondering what, what will the end look like for them. And they really struggle. And so when I hit verse 13, I had immediately images of people that I've sat with, bedsides I've, I've prayed over. These images just immediately emerged. Yes, I mean, Paw Patrol's on the TV, but I have these people coming forward. Some right here in our church family. Maybe you have but as I have sat with them or talked with them, as they, as they not only contemplate their own death, or they literally are near death, I've heard things like this. And this isn't just this, this church. I've heard this in India. This is a human thing. These are some of the things I've heard people say. I hope I've done enough. I've tried to be a good person. I loved my family, my friends. God sees that, right? There's this sense that I hope I make it. I hope after everything I've done on earth, I hope God lets me in. These are believers saying this. These are people that have been sprinkled in the blood of Christ. These are people who have been born into a living hope, have an inheritance that will not fade, and yet they get up to the end of their life, or maybe they've made some really really bad decisions and they, 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 they just, they, they're, they're wrapped with guilt, wondering, did I do enough? No Christian needs to be talking that way at any point, particularly near death. Because the same God that saved you by grace years ago, the same God who has you standing in grace right now is the same God who will bring you grace at the revealing of His Son, Jesus. When I read that verse last Sunday evening, I needed to say to you as a church family, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. What you have to look forward to is grace. That's what you have coming your way. Do not be on your deathbed wondering, have I done enough? God doesn't just love you. He likes you. And He likes you by grace. And that should be good news as you continue to live and as you get closer to death. It is grace that will be brought to you. No fear. There's no fear of any condemnation. Do not say those things. If you are a believer in Christ, you do not say those things. You're okay. By grace. All is well. So here's my summary. You can be sure, believer in Christ, that you are secure in Christ. You can't do enough to be saved. It's God's grace that has, does, and will save you. I want that to be very clear. And I'm hoping that encourages you. If you say at the end of your life, have I done enough? I will say to you, no. No, you have not. 
No. And you never can. Because it is grace that saves you. It's grace that's saving you right now. It is grace that will be brought to you. That's why you set your hope fully on that. And that good news that you can't do enough. Takes a little pressure off. Now, fruit comes out of our life. Doesn't mean you just sit back and enjoy the ride. God changes us so that we become people who have the fruit of the Spirit emerging from our life. But you don't get to the end and say, man, I hope I did enough. You're never going to do enough. It's by grace you have been, you are, and you will be. So, that is good news. Now, how in the world do you um, take that reality and help move it into the mind? Like, how do you gird up the loins of your mind? Like, what would that mean in real life for you today? I got a, here's, here's a suggestion. I think this. I think we need to focus the mind and clear the clutter. That's what I think. Um, now, like, what does that mean? It means you pay attention to really matters. Key truth that we need to all understand is this. Key truth is, it's coming. Here it is. Key truth. Our minds will take the shape of what they focus on. If you focus on sports all the time, that is what you will think about all the time. Now, it does not follow your body will take the shape of, of, of a professional athlete if all you do is listen to sports talk radio. But that is what you will think about all the time. If you take it. If you take in violence all the time, reading, reading violent things, if you are watching violent things, there will be a tendency then mind and body to work that out into real life. You become a violent person. You also, you also have heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your character, something like that, right? So at, I got to this point in the sermon and I really, that was it. We were going to go to the next step from here. And then I ran across this proverb. Ran across this proverb. Check this out. Proverbs 22, verse 24 through 25. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger their soul. You may be a teetotaler and think you can save everyone in the bar. You go to the bar every day. At some point, you're going to have a drink. And if you hang around people that get drunk all the time, at some point, you'll become like them. You know the one person that didn't fall into that trap? Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. Hung around a lot of bad people, didn't become a bad person. This doesn't mean you don't associate necessarily like you have friends, but if you put all of your attention with bad people, you'll become like that. Okay, so that's the easy side of this equation. Like, don't hang out with people like Mark. That's kind of what I'm saying. All right? Okay. Um, I, had, I felt like I had to do something. I know you'll have something for me at the end of service, and it'll be a whammy. Um, okay. So, but here, here's where I think it's a little more subtle. How many of you feel like the world's coming to an end? Or the country's on the brink of falling apart? You have that, and I'll show you your social media feed. You know, people that are scrolling through positive posts typically don't carry that same, that same sense that everything's falling apart. Because when you take in just news, you typically get the feeling that everything's going bad. 
Now, please understand, I think a lot of things are going bad. I think there's a lot we could be looking at. Go back and listen to my Justice series for four weeks. I think we could say there's a lot of things going bad. But if you're a news junkie, I bet I could find a little anxiety inside your soul. Because you know what a lot of news will do to you? It'll create anxiety. And if you just love social media because you like watching and seeing what people are doing, I imagine there's a part of you that wishes you could be like someone else. You ever had that feeling? Man, it looks like everything's really good in their life. Which mine looked like that. All I'm saying is, if we live in other people's world, from news to social media, it will clutter the mind. That's what I'm saying. It's very hard to have your focus set on the reality of the grace that's going to be brought to us and actually have joy in that when our mind is so cluttered with everything else. And that happens currently in our world often through our phones and on our computers and through our television sets. That's usually how that that plays out for us. When you have a constant stream of bad news or breaking news or someone else's life, it's going to be very hard to hope, as a command, hope fully on the grace to be brought to us at His revealing. Very hard. The mind will be cluttered. So here's the next step. Get ready. I don't know if I've had one this hard. Here it is. Pick one day this week and fast from social media and the news. I know. Take it in. You will not know what's going on for a day. And while you do it, remember that the, the remember the grace that you will receive at the coming of Christ. Literally, as you as you as you pick up your phone to look at the latest on Facebook and realize today's my fast and you put it down, you remember in that moment of putting it down, but there's grace coming at the second coming of Christ. Literally, that day you will be thinking about the fact that you have grace coming to you at the second coming of Christ. You will like and I bet you get to the end of that day feeling better than when you started. If I was a bet man, I'd put some money on it. Mark, you put money on it. We'll split it. Alright? Okay. Because you know what kind of person Mark is. He'd do it. Um, okay. Literally, the, what I'm trying to get at is, if there's another way for you to unclutter your mind, then do that. I just think that sometimes news and social media are some of the worst, some of the worst things we do that clutter the mind. But if there's another thing that you can do to declutter the mind, then pick that one. Okay? Like if television's your thing and you love soap operas, then pick a day you don't watch soap operas. And declutter the mind. The goal here is to pick a day to remember and focus on the grace to be brought to us at the second coming. And declutter the mind. And you remember, Christians, that there is nothing you can do for His salvation. You are saved by His grace. You are being saved by His grace. And you will be saved by His grace. So do not, in the end, Ask, have I done enough? I hope He accepts me. My comfort to you from the Scriptures is yes. Yes, you will be accepted because it is through Jesus that you have been saved. Take comfort. Now, let's declutter the mind to remember that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it brings us hope that we can have our hopes set fully 
on the re- on the revelation, the second coming of your Son Jesus, and that we will be transformed, will receive praise, glory, and honor. You will be seen as sovereign, and it will all be because of the grace you will bring to us. We know we cannot do enough. We know that we can't love enough. We know we can't be good enough. It is by grace. So may that help us to be the kind of people that then now show grace to others. Be full of love and patience and generosity. May our minds be sober-minded, literally girding up the loins of our mind so that we can know the reality that fills us with a hope that we can celebrate. I pray that it helps individuals, literally individuals in our church family, that they cannot be, that they will not be riddled with guilt or fear, but that they will be comforted by your grace. And so to that end, take this prayer under the authority of Jesus, and together we pray, Amen.